You're listening to Robert Wright's Non-Zero Podcast. Hi, Eli. Hey, Bob. How are you doing? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a, you know, all things considered, I'm, I'm getting by. Obviously, our, where our, I think the world's focus is right now on Israel, Gaza. So, and we're going to talk about that. Let me yeah. introduce this first. I'm Robert Wright. This is the Non-Zero Podcast. I'm the publisher of the Non-Zero Newsletter on Substack. You're Eli Lake, my uh, longtime ideological nemesis. We every once in a while have a conversation, disagree, and yet remain on more or less civil terms. For hoping sure. to set yeah. uh, an example for today's youth. Yes, uh, right? I, I agree. And yeah. uh, check out my re-education podcast. The latest one is up on the Franz Fanon's long shadow on the current, I guess you could say, anti-colonial discourse that led many on the left mm, to mm, mm. Um, rationalize and even celebrate in some cases the horrific barbarism of the October 7 massacre. Yeah, I listened to some of your podcasts. It's good. Uh, it's pretty highly produced, actually. It's it's. Uh, I, I was listening to the one on the on the church committee. Um, oh, thank you. I love. I put a lot of work into that one. Thanks. So thanks for we, listening. We can to that. talk about that. We'll get around to that. Oh, I also okay. listened to your kind of monologue on the uh, situation in the wake of the Hamas attacks, uh, and um, so I think I'm familiar with your views now. Uh, I'm kind of concerned that we may wind up. Uh, in a regional war that uh, draws the U.S. in and Iran and places like that. Um, do you think that's a very likely outcome? I think it's an I think I think it's a possibility. I don't know that I would say likely at this point, but I do think it's a possibility. Um, there certainly has been coordination that we can tell from various meetings of senior Iranians, representatives of Hamas, Hezbollah. Um, Hezbollah has a hundred thousand missiles pointed at Israel. There has been some cross. There have they've fired some of them, uh, and the situation is extremely tense. I think that the intention of sending the um, aircraft carrier, the Gerald Ford, to uh, the Eastern Med was an effort to try to deter Hezbollah, and we'll see if that works um so yeah um i mean it's kind of a two-edged sword what i worry about is that will it will uh embolden uh, israel so to speak uh you know i'm i'm one difference between us is probably i'm not in favor of ground invasion I, in fact i am in favor of stopping the bombing of gaza and you're probably exactly opposite me on both of those um well I I I kind of I I accept the limitations of what I don't know at this point. So uh it's a mystery as to why this ground invasion hasn't happened. And there are there are competing explanations. And uh I would like to find out exactly why it hasn't happened yet. There are there are Israeli hawks, there are Israeli military IDF generals who I think have said they're not sure that a ground invasion makes sense. I recognize it as a hard choice. Um, but I, I guess I'm in favor of the outcome of uh, taking out Hamas's leadership at the very least and making sure they don't rule Gaza. 
and I am open to the means in which to accomplish that. Are you for that on the question of, let's just call it regime change and leave out, you know, the means of regime change just as an end goal for Gaza? Oh, it would be nice. I, I mean, there are a lot of cases where I think regime change would be nice, but I think trying to implement it uh, is too problematic uh, for it to be wise to proceed with it. Um, I think that's where it, we disagree. I think Israel doesn't have a choice, and I think ultimately it will be better for Palestinians not to live under the Hamas rule. Um, yeah, what, uh, I mean, before we actually, before we get to the wisdom of that, you were saying there's some uncertainty as to why the invasion hasn't taken place. One thing I've heard recently is that the U.S. is asking Israel to hold off while the U.S. gets certain assets and plans in place. And one interpretation of that is, well, the U.S. is expecting a war. And the other is that the U.S. wants to have a very strong deterrent position, hoping to avoid a wider war. But in any event, what are the well, I think but those, you... those two are not a, those those are not mutually yeah, exclusive right. explanations, right? Right. Uh, the question is, which one does the U.S. think is more likely, kind of, as it does this? Um, but what other explanations have you heard as to why it's taking so long? I mean, look, it is the kind of thing you would need to plan, right? It's a difficult it's a difficult mission. But well, for one, um, what do you do after? So I don't well, know. I don't know that the the triumvirate that is currently making these decisions in the unity government has a good kind of, well, okay, what happens when we, when we, when we go in and, and, and we, we take out Hamas, then what? I don't think Israel wants to reoccupy and administer Gaza. Um, and that explains, by the way, the strategy of Israel of trying to, you know, they have these sporadic, rocket wars that Hamas doesn't do much damage and then Israel pounds Gaza and they keep Hamas what they believed was in a weakened state clearly they they were wrong in some ways um so there's I think some question about what happens next and will Israel then be the, the de facto authority will can Israel um manage to get a credible third party to try to start a transition where there might be, I don't know, in my, if it was up to me, Palestinian elections in Gaza, but if it was just a sort of interim authority until a new Palestinian government can take power, well, you know, it doesn't look like the Arab world and even their new, their sort of, you know, their, their new Abraham Accord uh, countries are willing to necessarily do that. Will the U.S. want to do that? Uh, I'm. Sh I mean, it's unclear who the who the you know I, I'm neutral broker will be. I'm pretty sure that the U.S. Be. would not be seen in Gaza uh, as a neutral arbiter, as we totally fair aircraft point. carriers yep. in that direction, and provide Israel with the ammunition that's killing people in Gaza, even as we speak. Now, I'm pretty sure that's not a mission we're we're well I, suited for. I I kind of agree with that, but I'm I'm just saying I think that there is this kind of question about okay, you don't want to be the administrator of Gaza. You don't want to go back and and, and sort of be responsible well, for picking well, up the garbage. Well, this is my question about, yeah. about the wisdom of invasion. I mean, I have two questions about it. I, uh, but that's that's one is like, I mean, what 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 constitutes the quote elimination of Hamas, and then what comes next, and how does Israel orchestrate what comes next? Um, I don't. Uh, you seem to share my uncertainty as to how you fill in those details. Uh, I would think that would be good reason to pause and reflect before you do this. 
Um, and th then there's also the fact that I think, um, you know, the more people in Gaza you kill, uh, the longer it goes on, uh, the more you're ensuring that there will be uh, another generation of people uh, there willing to and, and even eager to inflict atrocities on Israelis. I, I, I think that's the way it works. I, I'd like to know how many of the, the people uh, who went into Hamas and committed atrocities, you know, had relatives who had been killed in earlier conflicts with Israel. I just think this, the thing is uh, it's self-sustaining in that way. And, and as long as you have that hatred at the grassroots, you can't just magically install a regime on top of it that will neutralize it and, and it will find a manifestation. And uh, but, you know, that's just me. Well, I, I mean, I, I think that you're getting I don't know if you're trying to say this, but I think you're getting, you know, close to sort of saying um, that, you know, the despair and loss felt by Gazans, um, you know, led to this uh, horrific pogrom. And I would push back on that because I think that, first of all, Gazans suffer under Hamas, which is both corrupt and cruel. But secondly, there anybody who was living, you know, in Gaza understands that, forget for a moment this horrific atrocity, which, by the way, they live streamed, so they wanted the world to know. Um, Every time they would launch, I, I, I had the last time I was in Gaza was ten years ago. But but I remember talking, you know, I, I wanted to interview people and sort of say, and that what they will tell you, you know, in private, you know, with the understanding that you're not going to be quoting them because they could get in trouble, is that when Hamas starts their wars with Israel, they know that they will be suffering. So there's there's a, there's a there's a natural frustration. We have seen sporadic uh, demonstrations as well against Hamas in Gaza. Um, so I don't want to make, I, I, I don't profess to have any, uh, and I don't think you can measure this in opinion polls. I've seen some Israelis saying that, you know, the Palestinians in Gaza like Hamas and therefore, you know, screw them or something. But I don't think we can know the answer to that question because there hasn't been an election since 2006 and Hamas rules through intimidation and fear. So that's the first point. And the second point is, is that how could you have not done this massacre and not expect a massive retaliation. So in my view, like it's telling that the alleged allies of Hamas in Sydney, Australia, New York City, uh, London, Paris, we've seen these massive demonstrations are kind of like all celebrating this active resistance, this jailbreak, as they say. But it's- no, Wait, did you say allies of Hamas? Well, they I mean, claim to be allies not all of all the people at the demonstrations we're seeing in the world of pro Hamas. The, the Palestinian flag is not the flag of Hamas. It's also, you know, waved by people in Fatah and so well, on. Not a, okay. So these we people who claim infer... these people who claim to be in favor of Palestinian liberation. Okay. And these people who claim to be um, protesting the bombing campaign. Mm -hmm. I never hear any one of these speakers or any one of these groups ask the most obvious question, can you return the hostages, all of them, and ask why you did this? I mean, it's not like this is coming out of nowhere. Israel is responding to the worst mass killing of Jews since the Holocaust. And for, to, for us to assume that the, the Gazans do not understand how much peril their putative leaders 
have placed them in is, I think, not is is almost a kind of soft bigotry of low expectations. Well, right, but I mean, you, I think you have to ask then why is doesn't Hamas get more blowback at the popular level? I mean, you said you said, am I saying that you know the suffering of the Palestinians is the reason this attack was launched? Well, not exactly. I mean, the leaders of Hamas had their motivations, including tactical ones, and and I have some guesses about them including strategic ones. I have some guesses about them, but that's one thing. They wanted to launch the attack. But to do that, they need certain things. First of all, they need a bunch of guys willing to go in there knowing they may well be killed. They need a bunch of guys sufficiently motivated, sufficiently hateful to do that. And I'm saying, yes, that is one product of the way Palestinians have been treated, including in Gaza. And then they also would like to have some degree of popular sympathy. Now, I don't I don't have any clear idea than you do how people in Gaza are feeling right now. And I'm sure no few of them are wishing Hamas had not unleashed this. But still, I would say as a political matter, Hamas thrives on hatred of Israel and every every Palestinian in Gaza who 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 can say they had a relative or a friend killed by Israel uh, stands a chance of having that kind of hatred toward uh, Israel. And, and every day now, the number of those Palestinians is growing. That's why I would say, I don't think the continued bombing of Gaza is even smart from Israel's point of view. I, okay. I, you know, uh, okay, so let me push back in a couple of ways. So as we know, throughout history, there have been many subjugated peoples, including my people, the Jews, but let's leave the Jews out of it. When blacks were suffering under Jim Crow and lynchings from the KKK, which were in, which were colluded with local and state authorities for a hundred years after the Civil War, um, there was never anything comparable to this kind of uh, movement that emerged. Even the black militants um that uh you know i guess come on the scene originally in the 1920s and then become very big in the 1960s they talked a kind of game that um mm -hmm. you know but there there was never anything close to this if you go to the history of um nelson mandela's movement against the apartheid regime in south africa never did you see anything like this and it's not like this is the first time hamas does it. it's what they do when you mention like how do we how did how did hamas manage to recruit these uh martyrs so to speak or people who would be going on this kind of suicide mission well i mean maybe i would look to the curriculum that uh poisons the mind of uh all everybody who you know is is in a school that is you know getting money from the uh u.n refugee and works uh agent unra uh, agency. Um, so there are a lot of other factors, other subjugated peoples. I mean, the Kurds uh, in Turkey launched a kind of campaign against government officials, but I wouldn't compare it to the kind of bloodlust that we saw uh, on October 7. Um, and again, if you just look at all of the history of Hamas and what it's been doing since it was formed in 1987 as an offshoot of the Muslim Brotherhood, then uh, you know, this is who they are. And it's, I would say, not in line. I'm not, I don't think it's necessarily true that people who live under subjugation like this, if they get angry enough, will then become, you know, uh, mass shooters, which is 
uh, which is so I, I I push back in that I, respect. I mean, you know, yeah, the it forms, takes a little bit more. It takes it takes an ideology. It takes a. I mean, there it well, takes a death. Yeah, bolt, the, there know? is an attendant ideology, but again, it's just going to have an easier time getting roots. But I would uh, in certain I, I circumstances do, I, than others. I I also want to sort of maybe well, I want to bolster your point, but I also mm -hmm. want to say that there is something particular to the Palestinian liberation struggle that goes back before. 1948, when the state of Israel was formed, which is that mm -hmm. there have been these horrific kinds of episodes, whether we're talking about, you know, the Arab revolt in the 1930s, um, where there's been almost a kind of strategy uh, where if enough atrocities are caused for Jews living in Israel, then eventually they will feel un unsafe enough to leave. And that, that goes back to uh, Arafat, it goes back you know, to the groups like Eli, the PFLP Eli, and the, so forth. Eli, the Jews of Israel did the same thing to the Palestinians back in 47, 48. They well, expelled, no. most of them were expelled forcibly from their homes. And uh, that included I'm sorry, that, that was in the massacres middle of, in villages and killing was, 200 people at the shot. That, that was part of a war in which the entire Arab world and all the Arab armies um, decided to declare war okay, on uh, this okay, new state that was originally, originally accepting a kind of, you know, weird borders that would share the land with the Palestinians, according to a UN plan, which was rejected by the Arabs. Now, listen, were there atrocities committed at like Dar Yassin? Of course, yes. that's their word. This is what happens in war. But was there a strategy uh, of, of, of the Jews to just kill as many random Palestinians? That's not true. That's that's a that's a myth. Whereas I think that when you look at the history of Palestinian terrorism, whether it's Munich, whether it's um, you know the Second Intifada, what you see is that their strategy is that they go after you know the most vulnerable. They go after you know schools and whatever, and their intention is to make the conditions so terrible that the Jews will go back to where they came from in their diaspora. And it's you know it, it, it's it's revealing that today we hear so much of the rhetoric of people who are claiming to be in solidarity with Palestinian cause is borrowed from, you know, the anti-colonialism of someone like Sartre or, or, or Franz Fanon, when it's not true, there is no mother country for Jews in Israel to return to. So I would just say that that is a factor as well, which is that part of the history of like this Palestinian movement to kind of have their own state has not been one uh has has been one that is you know kind of linked together with this idea that you're going well, you, to you're going to try to kill enough people to make them leave again if you if we want to understand why it is the movement has assumed certain forms including uh in the minds of some oh. Palestinians a desire to evict Jews entirely from the land which i don't think is an aspiration of everyone uh, by any means, or everyone who marches in these marches, or whatever. Well, hold on, wait. With these marches, but, but, they say from they chant from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. That is exactly what that means. It means kick the Jews out of Israel. That's what it means. actually. That's not what everybody means by it. And if you ask these students what it means, half of them go, well, "I don't know." It's what everybody else is saying. It sounds kind of innocent, superficially, free the the Palestinians. Some would say they mean uh, one state solution. Everyone gets to vote. What's wrong with that? Palestinians get to vote. It's one it's one place. And, and let's see what happens. I mean, I don't think I, I don't think, you know, we need to get into a huge argument about what they mean by that. Uh, but um, I, I will I will say that uh, I mean, again, the, the, the distinctive form that the ideology has taken 
has something to do with deep historical roots where, you know, in 1920, 90% of Palestine was Arab and they see their, themselves having been systematically displaced. We don't need to, to redo all that. I, but, but I do want to say that even if we stipulate that, that uh, this is, well, I mean, the Hamas attacks were particularly extreme in their violence. Now, and you're noting that there have been upper, other episodes of violence uh, in in the uh, Palestine uh, Palestinian liberation movement, that's certainly true as well. And it well, is, not just it is, I want to say it's not just violence; it's spectacular violence, and it's violence aimed at being a kind of spectacle. And there's a difference between that and like, listen, it's terrible that innocents die when in in these bombings, and um, you know, I'm not going to you know yeah. like. We can okay. we can we can acknowledge that there's that there's that, that no country is innocent and Israel is not entirely innocent. So I'm not arguing here that um, everything Israel does is great and everything Palestinians do is terrible. But there I think we have to recognize that this is something that is very deeply rooted in the conception of what it means for being part of Palestinian liberation doesn't mean that there haven't been other voices yeah. among Palestinians who have questioned this. And sometimes you have people who've been on both sides. Abu Mazen in 2001 and 2002 was a critic of the second intifada. And that's mm -hmm. one of the reasons why the West wanted him to be the successor to Arafat when he finally died. Now, today, if you listen to Abu Mazen, he doesn't really sound all that different than, you know, the late Sheikh Yassin of Hamas, because this is where the politics are. And if you earlier versions of Abu Mazen. He was, you know, writing his uh, we should say to people, thesis on, he, on, on just, Holocaust let's just, denial. Let's just tell people he's, if they don't know, he's head of the Palestinian Authority, yes. um, uh, also known as Mahmoud Abbas. Um, so let me say a couple of things. Um, okay. First of all, if the question is like, where is there Mandela? If you ask Palestinians that, some of them will say, we've tried, okay? We had, you know, uh, not so long ago, there was a movement of like freedom riders. And they said, let's just call attention to the fact that we're not allowed to ride these buses in the West Bank. We're not allowed to drive on these freeways, let alone like have a vote, get to vote, let alone having due process of law and getting, you know, as opposed to getting thrown in jail forever with, with nothing to say about it. Uh, let's just or, or, or actually let's talk about all that. Let's talk about rights. They will tell you that they've tried to get traction with peaceful demonstrations and the Israeli government has worked hard to undermine them in various ways. I'm not an expert on that. I will just say that's what they'll say. And and I, related to that is the fact that it's been reported, you may know more than I do, that Bibi Netanyahu has actually had the conscious strategy of keeping the relatively moderate, Palest at least compared to Hamas, Palestinian Authority weak and actually keeping Hamas stronger because the politics work out better for him, okay? Uh, so, but but the, I, I, I I I don't. I mean, I, I I know this is what Palestinian activists have. Well, there said. are quotes. There are quotes of him. He said things. Well, I want like to get that. into. I want to get into Netanyahu as well because I think it's worth talking about that. But to your first point that oh, they've tried a peaceful strategy. Some maybe have tried peaceful strategies, and I accept that. However, it's always been accompanied by this threat of terrorist violence. And that's well, just true. Well, no, not by the and same And in the people. height of the Freedom Ride pe period, there was this thing called the Stabbing Intifada. I don't know that that was a group they was the responsible. Same people. They weren't the same people. Oh, okay. Anyway, well, I, I, I don't know. I know what they say is that the Israeli government jails prominent moderates 
provokes violence in peaceful demonstrations. And so what it may be the wrong. Pro- I know. I, I know that's the what they say. Prominent moderate. I, I mean, I was no. The decent. The I main was li- point. So I was listening to Ezra Klein's podcast with Spencer Ackerman and Peter Beinart. And Peter Beinart, or maybe I know Spencer Ackerman, who mentioned Marwan Barghouti. Marwan Barghouti for the, formed this like Tanzim terrorist militia, and in the mm-hmm. Second Intifada was the mastermind of a number of terrorist attacks that killed lots of innocents. And sometimes he's put on, he's been in, in Israeli prisons, I think 2003 or 2004. But the point is, is that he, this is, that's not a nonviolent leader. That's not a Mandela. I mean, I, I'm, every, I'm, 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 I, it's important because there have been moments where we know in the Oslo process, for example, Ehud Barak offers probably more than any Israeli leader would ever feel comfortable offering and that Arafat didn't have a counter offer. And, and we know from documentation that was found from his Mukata, his headquarters, that he that there were plans for the second intifada, even as he was negotiating in Camp David. Then moving on, 2005, Ariel Sharon gets out of Gaza, uproots Jewish settlers. The mm-hmm. country is somewhat torn apart. And uh, after Hamas takes over, that territory in this formula of land for peace was then became a basically a staging area to make war against Israel. Um, well, so, me, okay, you want to? I want to just I, I want to just put aside, put a pin in a, a broader point that, and then I want to get back to to Gaza and, and the evacuation of the settlers from Gaza. Uh, the the point I would have put a pin in is like, uh, okay, yeah, resistance movements vary in the degree of violence, the nature of the violence, what happened. Uh, on October 7th was horrific. Whatever you think is the explanation for what's distinctive about certain elements of the Palestinian resistance, it's what you got, okay? That is the situation we're dealing with. And the question is, what makes the violence worse? What makes it better? And yes, my view is that if you really want to make things better in the long run, you do need to look at the underlying conditions, the so-called root causes, the way Palestinians are treated in in Gaza and the West Bank. And if you don't agree with me that it's horrible and getting worse, I'll have that debate with you. But I just want to say that if you want to say, okay, Palestinians are worse than other people, say it. Whatever whatever they are, they're what we're dealing with. And and I think the root causes uh, are, are something we really need to focus on. And I think the ongoing devastation of Gaza the ongoing killing of civilians is making things worse, worse even from Israel's point of view. Now, on, on the evacuation from Gaza, I mean, first of all, you're saying we tried land for peace. That wasn't land for peace. They didn't negotiate anything. Let's face it. The main driver was a, a, a calculation, a demographic calculation that given the birth rate of Palestinians and given the possibility that at some point they might all say, hey, why don't you just give us the vote? Israel would be wise to just relinquish responsibility for a million or two million of them in Gaza and say, that's not that's not part of the Palestinian population. OK, I, I don't think you'll deny that that was some of the thinking underlying that in any event, if they had wanted it to be land for peace, they would have negotiated things associated with role. They didn't. They just got out. And then I want to say one okay, more but, thing. But, but wanna, that was well, five just... years after they did have extensive negotiations of land for peace. And it was. It, it it concluded with a terrorist, you know, uprising known as the Second Intifada. 
Well, the Second Intifada was before the withdrawal from Gaza. I, I agree. I'm saying there was the Oslo process in the 1990s. Yep. At the end of that process, according to Bill Clinton and Dennis Ross and all uh, lots of other people who were there, with one exception, Rob Malley, the, Isra the, the Israelis kept coming up with these offers, and Arafat not only said no, he didn't have a counteroffer. Well, uh, if I were so you, Arafat at the time was 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 the was we were we were doing the you got to deal with the Palestinian you got you got to deal yeah. with who you got, and he he was never prepared in the end to make peace. He would rather have been, as I think I said in my uh, my first monologue after the atrocity, that he he would rather be the kind of valiant, you know, make make this sort of doomed effort uh if resistance than to be the pragmatic peacemaker and that's what happened there's a famous scene that is in me uh, clinton's memoir where he where arafat says you're a great man he said no i'm a failure and you made me a failure so you know that is so that's the context of sharon's innovation where he says okay let's get out of gaza he does it and what was the response? The response was Hamas takes over after winning this election, and then they turn Gaza into basically, you know, a staging ground for various attacks on Israel, culminating in this horrendous, horrendous atrocity. Uh, let me just say one thing, which is that the, the episode you're referring to, kind of like the, the, the moment when supposedly the Palestinians were offered a state, a two-state solution, and they said no. I think even you may agree that's an oversimplification in the following sense. When we think of a state, a sovereign state, we think of, of, for example, you get to control your borders. That's fundamental to a sovereign state. It's like you decide who gets to come in, who doesn't get to come in. That's just part of the definitionally true of a state. Control your airspace. You can, you know, you can uh, have build up a big military if you want. There's all these things that we think of as being part of a state that just weren't part of what is being offered. Now, you may say, okay, but Arafat didn't counter. I, I would also say, by the way, that I haven't looked into the details of the proposed land swap, but of course, part of the deal was all this good land where we built settlements, that's still going to be Israel, at least the main big settlements. We'll give you, uh, you know, like shittier land in exchange. But I don't even think the Israelis were offering one for one swaps, were they? And and, and maybe you, you would say, okay, we were waiting for Arafat to counter. On the other hand, that's just so insulting like, oh, I mean, I, okay. But, I'm but, saying that the, 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 deal would have, would have given the Palestinians a piece of Jerusalem. It would have, there were land swaps. I, I don't know. I mean, listen, neither one of us know all uh, no, the details. We don't. The, I used to know those details, but my point is, is that, um, it was probably the best offer that, that they the were going to get. Yes. That's because America always served as negotiator, Aaron David Miller put it as Israel's lawyer. And, and America and Israel had all the power and we made these shitty offers and they said no. And then we go, see, there's no pleasing these people. Well, but I'm sorry, you the, the response to the negotiations instead of we're going to need more or something like that was, you know, basically a declaration of, of terror war. Come on. I mean, I, at a certain point, you got to you got to blame the Palestinians, too. The, the main thing I, I, I want to say right now is it is commonly said the Palestinians were offered a state and said no. It's not true. It's not what we mean by a state. It's not true. Okay, and I'll but, leave that there. All right. I mean, I don't know. Like, okay. Uh, now, they, they, they would have had almost everything they wanted, including a part of what they call Quds. And 
um yes you're right they don't they don't get an air force they don't get a nuclear program but you know like baby steps i don't know what to say i mean part of jerusalem yeah but remember uh pre-1967 yeah they should get a lot if you're really returning to those borders that includes all the old city in east jerusalem right well if you want to be technical then you want to give it back to (laughs) jordan and, and jordan egypt and syria i mean i don't know i mean like Okay, but let's we're 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 not okay. going to agree. Okay. I think it's important what, to what note that there to? was. Um, well, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, it might I, be worth exploring. Like, I mean, I I do think that the like I, I I mean, I think that we we it's a bit of a distorted lens because we see you know I don't know we see on social media these clips of of people you know marching and and waving you know various kinds of slogans and so forth. But, um, you know, I, I, I do think that in the Jewish community, I've heard so many people say that they were like, you know, they thought they had allies on the left and they're rethinking it. There've been some high level resignations from the Democratic Socialists of America. Um, well, and to me, I think it's worth pointing out that people who have in recent years uh, um, said that Speakers with whom they disagree on campus made them feel unsafe. Were extremely at being as charitable as possible, extremely cavalier as activists in this sort of milieu to then say this horrendous massacre of you know just unbelievable, like almost you know it's almost subhuman what was done. Um, you know is entirely Israel's fault which was the statement from all those Harvard groups. And, yeah, uh, and mean, it's the language that we heard from a number of different groups. And there is this, like, the, you know, you can you know, you know can find a gazillion professors, it seems, who basically kind of agree and that, the, and that, these, that, that, that the left has found themselves in this weird position of making excuses for this kind of atrocity. Even if you want to remain, I mean, I understand, and I'm not putting you in this, Bob. I'm saying there are lots of people who would look, who would, who would sort of say, you know, my sympathies are with the Palestinians. I think they've they've been oppressed. I want them to have a state. Okay, fine. Um, but if that if that's your position, it's coming from an empathy for the Palestinians, then you should be furious at Hamas. And I'm not mm-hmm. seeing any of that. And that's like I just I really do think it's revealed a sort of moral bankruptcy from this social justice coalition that wants to tell me that it's like you know a kind of violence if i say that men can't give birth but then we'll turn around and say something unbelievably like lunatic about real world atrocity that happened you know uh you know it's still it's still hard to process no i am someone who supports you know palestinian liberation i guess you could call it i think they should have uh they should have full political and civil rights in in the West Bank. Uh, And my first reaction, I mean, among my first reactions to this was, this is not good for the Palestinian cause. Certainly not in the short run. Uh, I mean, you know, there is that line from the movie Munich, which I'm sure you've seen, where the guy says, you know, you're you're killing Jews. The world is just going to think you're animals. And the guy says, well, maybe if they, maybe they'll ask what turned us into animals and what our cages are like. Maybe in the long run, uh, this could lead to some sort of larger awareness of the conditions. But my reaction was the one you're talking about. This is not good for the Palestinians. And I don't think I don't think Hamas cares about the Palestinians. I mean, in general, I don't think political leaders have a tendency to have uh, really care that much about their constituents. But 
Oh, and we'll, um, by the way, we'll find out if it's true. I mean, it's, the reporting is still coming in. But if if Iran had a role in planning this, then then we can say that, you know, the Palestinians were pawns of a wider regional war. I can't think of anything like more mm-hmm. cynical and like less respecting of Palestinian, you know, sovereignty or whatever than than something like that. The idea that if, if Hamas did this, like, again, we don't know this yet on instructions from Iran. Some people have reported it. Let's just say it's unclear, you know, where it's in flux. But if that's true, um, you know, that's well, that's like, that's terrible. It's like, you know, Palestinians are cannon fodder to the uh, to Ayatollah Khamenei. Well, look, I personally think there's no way Hamas salutes and says, yes, sir, uh, if if the if the leadership of Hamas did not see this as being consistent with their interests, there's no way. I mean, given the blowback that's bound to to come, there's no way Iran is going to like force them to do this. Now, maybe the blowback is more than than they anticipated. Some people speculated that the operation su- quote succeeded on a scale larger than they anticipated. Who knows? And I certainly think it's possible that Iran was in on it early. And I would first. Why did say, they lie? Why did they live stream it? I, uh, you know, look, I have a lot of questions about this. Again, I don't think it's good. For, it was good for the Palestinian people. Um, and uh, I will, I will say though that, you know, if they're, if they think there's a receptive audience for this anywhere in their constituency, whether. Uh, it's on the West Bank or or in Gaza, and they're anywhere near right. You you really should ask yourself how did things get to this point? Because I don't think Palestinians have some like cruelty gene. There must be something in the environment and or history that led to this, and it's worth figuring out. Again, if it well, is the case, I, I there would know. I would note that there was more celebration of this horror in western cities and other non and not and other non-palestinians and there were among like palestinians i, I, I who have to live in the blast area and deal with the consequences I, I i am i do not i'm not convinced there was much celebration obviously we live in a social media environment where if one professor anywhere says something stupid everybody's going to see it's it. not one professor anywhere when judith butler to her great credit and i disagree with almost everything she says this is the same woman by the way in 2006 said that hamas and hezbollah were part of a, a global left which was ridiculous but she wrote a piece that said in the london review of books no ifs ands or buts full-throated con- condemnation this is terrible and she criticized some of the other voices that had tried to make excuses for it, including these Harvard student groups in that statement. Well, the response of London Review of Books readers was that she was, you know, she had committed an act of treachery against the left and the Palestinian cause. Now, what what is that about? That, I do think that there's an element here which we got to look at, which is that there were people who were excited by this, that reveled in it. Sure, Which there were people. That I'm not convinced that there was any great number of them uh, in America. Maybe there were, but the fact that you can, you know, keep bringing up the same Harvard letter and the same three crazy professors forever doesn't convince me. I, I, I just, uh, I just don't know. I will say though that, uh, you know, I think it is an important question why Hamas thinks there may be an audience for live streamed atrocities. 
And the answer is, I think, I mean, if they're right, if there is much wrong, is, is that once people start hating a group of, uh, of people sufficiently, there is an appetite for that. And I, I would say that I'm not hearing much denunciation in Israel of the manifest fact or even lamentation of the manifest fact that children are being killed in Gaza right now, predictably, by Israeli bombs. And look, I understand that. The Israeli people suffered an atrocity. It's a predictable reaction that they would start lumping all the people in Gaza together and harden their hearts. It's predictable. But there That's is a reason the for it. We, there is a reason for it. And, and, and we always need to, to ask, what is the reason for the hatred and the hardening of hearts? Okay. Okay. So just a, a couple points. Okay. Um, one, uh, the IDF does not deliberately go after civilians. Now, you could argue that if they would know that there would be collateral damage given the, the heaviness of their munitions and so forth. But one of the reasons, at least for lots of civilian casualties in Gaza, is because of the cynicism of Hamas, which is where they place their weapons storages, where they place their rockets, where they place their headquarters, and the fact that they wouldn't let Palestinians leave northern Gaza to go to southern Gaza, uh, and they prevented their population. So they're basically holding that population hostage. So they commit a horrible atrocity. They don't let them leave. They scatter their military operations in densely populated area. Um, so... I really have to push back in the one respect, which is that 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 at the very least it, that Hamas is a co-author of this misery in this retaliation. Well, so course, that's the first. Of course, point. they're co-authors. Okay. I would say, by the way, I mean, yes, it's bad if they're preventing people from leaving, but for Israel to say, you know, everybody in this big city, if you don't leave, you may die. That's called forced relocation, and by most interpretations, it's a vi it's a war crime. It's a violation of international law. But go uh, ahead. I think they're they, they weren't saying you have to leave forever. But anyway, the point is is that there was an effort to try to warn people, you know, when their bombs were coming and all of this other stuff. Now you can say not enough. It's the cost is too high. You knew what was going to happen because Hamas, you know the enemy you're fighting. So even doing that, you knew ahead of time there would be all this collateral damage. And I would say, okay, that is a, if you want to make that argument, fine. However, don't let Hamas off the hook. If it's the same thing with the fuel um, and the water. I mean, they, 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 they take the water pipes that were donated to them by various countries that are looking for development aid in Gaza, and then they turn them into tubes for rockets and missiles. So again, this is the problem. So if you want to talk about root causes, I've got the root cause right now. You, these people can't be ruling Gaza. Now, again, yeah, going back to our original point, if you, what, what kinds of conditions allow extremists to arise? Okay, Extreme but I, conditions. I would, I would, well, no. See, I think that that, that sort of takes it off the hook. That Hamas is came out of a branch of the Muslim Brotherhood. It was an ideology. It's a very well-developed ideology. They know they say exactly what they want to do. They want to conquer, in the case of Hamas, what is today Israel, and impose Islamic law. That is what they've been saying. It's what they want to do. And so we have to look at it in that context, as well as the context of, you know, uh, often what has become the sort of, at least a primary tactic throughout Palestinian history, not the only tactic, for achieving uh, their nationalist goals, which is violence against civilians, Jewish civilians. But again, 
I want to just say that like the Hamas is is, is 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 Hamas's strategy is to maximize the civilians on their own side. So I asked, I, I turn it around to you. What maximize is maximize the civilian casualties? You mean? Absolutely, they want okay. dead Palestinians. That's that's what they want. Um, and so I turn it around to you. What do you do? I mean, what do you do? I mean, you, and it's not just a pie in the sky, like, yeah, it would be nice. I mean, I think it is absolutely critical for both Israeli and Palestinian security to get rid of Hamas at this point, because there's no, like, we want to wait and wait for another war where they'll do the same kinds of things. I mean, uh -huh. come on. Well, like, look, we have to go, we got, there has to be an effort to sort of say no more. And you have to, you have to, at the very well, least, destroy their leadership. You have to, you've got to like, you know, exile them. You have to basically try to figure out a way to turn them into like Abu Nidal. Abu Nidal I mean, was once a menace. And then eventually over time, he was reduced to living in exile in Iraq. You have to turn them, you know, it's like ISIS had a caliphate and then eventually right. now they don't. So you well, have to defeat them. Again, if, if your view is that Hamas is the problem per se, as opposed to, as I would put it, a manifestation of a deeper problem that has to do with longstanding conditions and, and a lot of historical events, and admittedly is, is not easy to address satisfactorily. It's a huge challenge in any event. But if your view is like mine, that ultimately you have to address the conditions, then it's just not going to be enough to, quote, eliminate Hamas. You yourself agree that, you know, well, it's not clear what comes after Hamas. Israel can't rule the place. That'll lead to trouble. America can't rule the place. Any obvious proxy regime is in trouble. And if you just sit yeah, back and but, let but shit Hamas, happen, you'll Hamas, wind up with another Hamas. Well, I'm saying, yeah, but we have the one right now that committed this horrible atrocity that right. keeps, keeps the Palestinians impoverished and immiserated, that poisons the minds of Palestinian children, and that fights wars in such a way that it's a bonus when kids die that they are allegedly protecting. So in that respect, I can't think of much worse, so, but you can't, you can't live with them. So it's a hard choice. You don't have great options at this point, but an, one option cannot be, all right, well, we just have to live with Hamas. That, Israel's tried that and we'll weaken them through these, you know, we'll, we'll occasionally take out a leader here or a leader there. We'll, 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 they'll throw, they'll do rockets at us and we'll, we'll bomb them. And then, you know, it'll well, be over I mean, and come on, that, 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 that well, doesn't work all, anymore. Well, I mean, let, let's, you know, we, let's talk a little about the Gaza withdrawal, because I think repeatedly the view that, that I think you're expressing, which is that the problem is always the extremist political leadership itself, as opposed to the conditions that gave rise to it, has led to a ton of mistakes by Israel and America. And, and let me give you what an example of what may be one. We'll never know. But here's what happened with the Gaza withdrawal. Correct me if I'm wrong. You know more than I do. Uh, uh, I may get some details wrong, but OK. So Israel evacuates the settlements. I, I personally think just mainly just to change the demographic e equation. But in any event, they pulled them out unilaterally. And uh, not that long afterwards, they were going to have elections in Gaza. And America was on board. Israel was on board. George W. Bush, enthusiastic, democracy agenda. They said, can Hamas run in the elections? They're like, sure, everybody can run. It's democracy. Democracy is great. Well, Hamas barely won the elections, like 43%, 41% or whatever. And America and Israel said, no, 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 no. We said you could run. We didn't say you could win. And so we set about to help their Palestinian rivals overthrow them. 
and a civil war ensued. And the rest is history. I want to say one more thing. If you go back and look at the videotape right after that election, they were asked before the U.S. and Israel came in and, 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 and decided to to overthrow, upset the apple cart or whatever. The, the uh, uh, Hamas leaders were saying, and we'll never know whether it was sincere. Can we have peace with, with Israel? Yes, we can. We're willing to, you know, well, let's talk about a long, you know, the term Hudna, truce. Um, they, you go back and look at them, and they were talking very moderate language. I think now, Hudna has a lot of different interpretations, but okay. Well, truce is, I, I mean, you, 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 what, you mean it's a pause in a longer war is what you yes, mean. Uh, the, uh, and it's that expected. is traditionally what it means. Yeah. Okay, fine. But but they were saying, well, could it be this long? Could it be that long? Could it be that, that long? They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if you have enough time, you can just change the political equation. At least that's my view. Now, I have a particular view of the way these things work. But I will say that that was an. We said you can have an election. They ran. They won. They said we'll be moderate. We said, fuck you. Okay. And we will never know. And the reason we said it, I think, is because of the view you're expressing. No, the problem is the political leadership per se. If we just get rid of the people we don't like, everything will want will be wonderful. I disagree. I think the way the I, that, political that's not that's not what I people you don't like is the conditions that Israel never addressed. Okay, Bob, it was yeah. a huge mistake to allow Hamas to run. It was an <laughs> enormous mistake. Yeah, apparently. And, uh, there should have been elections and Hamas should have been excluded until Hamas disarmed and pledged to join the political process and renounce violence. And they that were was saying it. things like that after they won. I mean, come on. We, we, what, you're going to believe that this one little blip was this moment when Hamas was moderating. You know the history of the organization. You know what they did and you know what they were doing. And you know, by the way, we also know that when in the Civil War, when they took over Gaza, they were absolutely brutal to Fatah. And then as soon as they took over, there was no evidence. That, I mean, they didn't do anything. I mean, they, they just started preparing for war. It was almost like it's like it was. I mean, well, like, of course, this, it's a fantasy Israel and that they were ever a them. moderate force. They were they were moderating. That's just not what happened. Eli, we Israel and America literally declared war on them through a proxy Fatah. And of course, they killed a bunch of people in Fatah. And we're crueler than I would have been. But but the point is, we declared war on them after saying, sure, participate in our lovely election. Yeah. OK, well, you're, we're I mean, I'm agreeing with you. They should never have been allowed to run in the election. There should have been a, a, a bare minimum that you can't participate in elections if you're also a violent militia and a bunch of terrorists, which is which we should have done. And I, it's amazing to me that it wasn't done. And that was a huge mistake. But that it doesn't change the fact that I don't think there was ever a moment when Hamas was was moderating. And if I may put this to you, I mean, when you're talking about the conditions in Gaza that, you know, in your view, led people to perhaps, you know, join this terror movement and commit these massacres, um, it, it isn't the massacre of October 7th, like all the proof you would need for why Israel needs to impose border controls on Gaza and check what comes in and out, including people. I mean, isn't that, isn't that, wouldn't that, isn't that answering the question? Well, it's like the problem keeps getting worse and you keep saying, don't we need to be harsher? And I'm saying the harshness is the reason the problem keeps getting worse. It isn't just it isn't just the blockade per se. It's the fact well, it's that not, I mean, it's, it's it's not much of a blockade if they had 
you know, power gliders and, and submachine guns and bulletproof vests and bulldozers and all well, manner of equipment to pull this off. So it's a pretty considerable blockade. I mean, their, their, their fishing boats can only go out so far from their own coast before they run into Israeli ships and so on. But but what I want to say is it isn't just that. It's that, uh, you know, Israel has I mean, in a way, what we're seeing now is a policy of massive retaliation by Israel. Already, they've killed many more Palestinians than uh, uh, died in the in the uh, uh, initial atrocities. Although I grant you, like Hamas started it, they committed the atrocities. I also and agree also, that by the, and they fight in such a way civilians. that they 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 endanger their civilian population instead of right. Okay. Uh, and I grant Israel's not targeting civilians. On the other hand, they know. A number, if they're going to bomb this heavily, they know a bunch of civilians are going to die. Yes. You know, after the last huge version of this, Tom Friedman said Israel is sending the message to Hamas that it, to Hamas that Israel is willing to commit war crimes. He later walked that back, but I think he was right. And uh, and so I, I forget kind of where I was. Well, but, I'm just okay. I mean, like, let's talk about war crimes. One party, Israel, yeah, it it damages them, and that. They, you know, I'm not saying again, no nation is perfect. No nation is innocent. But that's a serious problem for the IDF. Mm -hmm. they, they they have a whole division of legal advisors that, you know, look at this all the time. Another party, Hamas, commits war crimes all the time. And it's fantastic. I mean, one way I would sort of describe this is this, <laughs> is that when Baruch Goldstein shot up a mosque in the West Bank, Israel the worldwide Jewish community, everybody in, you know, fortunately this subhuman animal died in his horrific crime, um, you know, were disgusted by this and they denounced it and this is not who we are. If Baruch Goldstein was a Palestinian who went into a synagogue in Gaza and Hamas, where there would be murals and he would be treated as a martyr. Now, I'm not arguing that this is a permanent fact of Palestinians or that all Palestinians feel this way. But when the people who are in charge of a territory of land, this is their ideology, this is what they are, this is this is what they do, you cannot live with them. And the Palestinians can't live with them. So I don't know exactly how you do it in such a way that doesn't you know, I'm, I'm saying, let me put it like this. I know that there will be problems if Israel has to reoccupy Gaza. I know that it's going to be a very hard and naughty problem. But I don't think an option at this point is to just allow these people to continue to rule. And if you want changes to those fundamental conditions, then you have to accept that Hamas cannot be in charge because it's in their interest. Again, for the immiseration of Palestinians is in the interest of, of Hamas at this point, we can say. And by the way, I should just say, and I know you probably agree with this, how unbelievably cynical that the leaders of Hamas don't even live in Gaza and they are cheering on this kind of thing. I mean, I, I mean, it's 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 unbelievable to me that anybody affiliated with Hamas would be allowed to stay in a reputable hotel. I, I, I think that Qatar needs to make a very serious decision about continuing to host these people. I think the same is true for Erdogan. But to me, the, the, the most villainous characters in all this are the leaders that don't have to suffer any of the consequences of these suicidal actions. Well, let me before, before I address that or anything else, let me say, like, we've been talking now. Normally what I do at this point is the paywall comes down and I say, if you'd like to hear the rest, uh, please become a paid subscriber to the Non-Zero Newsletter. Um, 
I'm I'm a little reluctant to do that in a conversation like this of this nature about this particular subject. Uh, so sure. I, I defer to you if you'd rather if you what what do you think we should do? I, I I'm willing to to keep the yeah. whole thing public. It's keep I think the whole it's thing a, public. Yeah, I think it's a useful conversation. I do encourage people to at least subscribe to the non-zero newsletter and rate and review the podcast Absolutely. if you think these conversations are valuable and so on. Um, and of course, smash that like button. And if you want to become a paid subscriber, do you'll you'll get a lot of stuff. Um, and and be supporting us. But um, so uh, well, okay, you're right. I I I mean, first of all. That is one of the reasons that the traditional Israeli policy uh, toward uh, Hamas, which is they fire some missiles in, which, by the way, is usually in response to something they consider a provocation and by historical standards might be considered one. It's like Israel starts breaking what were the traditional rules around the Al-Aqsa Mosque or inflicts some new kind of indignity or something. But for whatever reason, they fire some missiles. And if there's many of them, Israel responds disproportionately. Over, I did the numbers. In the previous 10 years, the ratio of uh, in, in the Israel-Palestine conflict, dead Palestinians to dead Israelis is 19 to 1. And if you ask why that policy of massive retaliation has not been an effective deterrent, one reason is because the people who decide whether to what, what Hamas is going to do don't live in Gaza. They're not going to die. And and this is a problem with war generally, actually. The people yeah. who decide to do it uh, rarely die in it. Um, the other reason uh, it doesn't work, I submit, is because it it leads to more hatred of Israel. There's more and more people in, in Gaza who can say their kin were killed by Israelis. Now, you might say, well, why don't they direct their hatred toward the leadership of Hamas? Probably some do. Probably both. Some have it both ways. Those aren't mutually exclusive um, impulses. Now, I want to say you mentioned Baruch Goldstein, and you said, "Well, he's not widely celebrated in Israel." That's true. I mean, I would also say there's there's typically an asymmetry between the powerful, who who you know the occupiers, the powerful occupiers, and the occupied in terms of what kinds of tactics they celebrate and so on. Does that but I, I also want to add that Israel now has a cabinet member in their cabinet. Yeah. Who, no. who until a couple of years ago, had a portrait of Baruch Goldstein on his wall. And then he said, oh, I'm going to get into politics. Maybe I should take this down. But but part of the context of this, and let's talk about the West Bank a little, okay. um, which is not unrelated to this because, and it gets back to my concerns about what's going to happen is if there's a ground invasion of Gaza, a lot of shit could go haywire. And part of it is in the West Bank which is pretty volatile. And it's volatile in part for long-standing historical reasons. Israel builds more and more and more settlements for the last half century. They're, they're you know, violations of international law. They keep doing it. The Palestinians are convinced that they just want to eventually either kick the Palestinians off the land or just, just declare it an apartheid state or something. And I got to say, that seems to be the way things are headed. But but there's there's a long-standing... There's that and the fact that they don't get to vote, whereas the Jewish settlers, you know, a quarter mile away on the West Bank do get to vote. They don't get to drive on the nice highways. They don't have due process of law. Uh, and, but what I want to add to that, all that, and I could go on about the, 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 the kind of specific indignities inflicted on them, is that things are getting worse because the Israeli government is becoming more extremist. The most Violent settlers have a growing number of allies in the government. And 
And you're seeing more and more. And of course, the violence goes in both directions. I don't, you know, their settlers get attacked, settlers attack. But you're seeing more in the way of, you know, kind of pogrom-like behavior by settlers. And periodically, what sounds like the encouragement of that from actual cabinet members, right? And and I think is- I, 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 I am not going to disagree that, and, and I wrote a column when this happened, um, that when Netanyahu made an alliance with these far-right groups, it was uh, an infamy. I mean, I, 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 I mean, and I know the history of Likud, and I just point out that it, it really does mark a sea change. There was a time briefly in the 1980s when Merrick Ahana was a member of the Knesset, and when he was, and he would speak, Menachem Begin would leave the chamber out of protest because the Likud party wanted nothing to do with uh, what I would say is Judeo-fascism, because that's what it is. Um, so I, I, I really, I, I am troubled by Ben Gavir and Smotrick. I am troubled by those parties. And I think that um, I would say, you know, it, it would be terrible if they continued to gain uh, more popular support. I would note that this government, for a lot of reasons, was uh, before this atrocity, was, uh, you know, seeing unprecedented levels of sort of, you know, civic protest and sometimes a little bit more. Um, I have some mixed feelings on it because I think that the judicial reforms were probably warranted, but I also understand why a lot of Israelis are horrified that people like that would be in their their cabinet. Um, so, you know, I mean, and, and I would uh, and I would say that, you know, um, there 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 has been. The IDF in part is in the West Bank in order to kind of, uh, you know, uh, take, you know, admin, take action against some of these settler groups that are doing that. I'm glad that you mentioned that the violence does go both ways because it does. But you're right that um, that is a kind of problem. But um Again, what I don't understand, what I, that, the, I, I mean, I, I don't want to kind of keep harping on this thing that we were talking about with Hamas, but it's like, if, if that was the, some, the, the condition of Palestinians on the West Bank was gaining a lot of momentum in the West, particularly among young people on college campuses and so forth. Uh, this atrocity, the fact that it was recorded, all of that, let, leave alone the inhumanity of it. Um, it sets back the Palestinian cause, or at least I hope it would, um, in the sense of not like I want, but I, I'm, I would like a two state solution, like I'm sure you would. But um, I think it really, I think it, 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 that's why it was so destructive, which is why it was so shocking to see um, people rationalizing it away and explaining this is what happens. And I'm not saying you were doing that, I, I think you were making a different kind of argument. Um, so it's that's well, not directed I, I at you. I mean, uh, there's a difference between explaining why something happened and and defending it. Or of course, it of course. I'm not. This is not directed. It was not directed at you. Um, I think we disagree about the extent of the act. Many people in academia who just can manage to sort of figure out a way to explain explain it away. Um, but you know, you don't get an argument from me. Um, but, I well, want nothing I, to do with with people who. Uh, valorize, you know, mass murdering scum like Baruch Goldstein. And I think it's a reminder, by the way, that, you know, people are not monolithic. And I always try to remind it whenever I do my podcast or anything else like this, that 
you know, it's an it's it's a kind of it's a slur, it's an infamy to claim that Hamas is the voice of Palestinians because I believe they are not. Um. Yeah, I agree. I certainly hope they're not. But let me ask you: if the condition in the West Bank is as bad as I describe it, and getting worse, and I think it is. Well, I, I don't know if we would agree with how bad it is, but okay. Fair okay, but can but I okay. give you one one anecdote? I mean, uh, an IDF, uh, a soldier who had done duty in the West Bank told me about this uh, some years ago. I don't know if it's still going on, but I really think it it captures something about the way Palestinians are treated. And um, I, I mean, first of all, there's there's kind of the collective punishment. I don't know how much of this stuff is still going on where like, uh, because uh, to punish some people in a village, they would go befoul the whole Palestinian village with either actual excrement or something that smells like it. Um, there's like blowing up the home. If there's one terrorist, they blow up the home and punish the siblings. And, and we've, we've heard about that. I don't know how much of that's still policy. But the anecdote that got my attention, and, and this is somewhere out there on the Internet, this guy explaining to me, you know, he's a member of this group that you're familiar with, Breaking the Silence, these anti-occupation army veterans of Israel who have, who have done duty in the West Bank. He said, you know, sometimes because there are uh, Palestinians who have weapons and 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 planned violence, uh, sometimes the Israeli army has to break in to the homes and, uh, you know, do these 3 a.m. raids and so on. And he says, and they have to practice for them. And so how do they practice? What they do is, I don't know if this is still true. It was true as of whatever, 11 years ago when he told me this. Um, they just pick a house. They break in at 3 a.m. They've got guns. Like everybody up against the wall, like the three-year-olds are, are mm -hmm. peeing their pants. They take them outside. They handcuff them. And then they say, okay, we were just kidding. This was just a drill. These are not people suspected of anything. This is just a an exercise, okay? And I don't know, you know, when they say, when Palestinians say they treat us like animals, I'm not sure I'm aware of anything that comes closer to validating that claim. I mean, that just blows my mind. Yeah, even though it's not something that involves killing anybody or physically injuring anybody. You, you take my point, right? That's an incredible indignity to inflict, right? Yes, that is an, an incredible indignity to inflict. And I think that there are many fair criticisms about what, what, that, what, what it does to the IDF and the young soldiers when this happens. And Palestinians. Well, sure. Um, I don't know if that continues on to this day. Um, and I also know that there have been much more collaboration in the last 11 years between Palestinian security forces and the IDF, precisely for the reasons that I think we would both agree that, you know, it's, it's not good to have Israeli soldiers keeping the peace in that way and performing this kind of security. Although, you know, the phrases that, you know, the Palestinian authority, you know, kind of is it protects the area by day and the IDF does it by night or something like that. So I'm sure there are still these kinds of nighttime raids and so forth. And um but I I I also know that there have been efforts to try to do that. And I also know that like you know Netanyahu has tried smaller local levels of kind of economic normalization and removing checkpoints and allowing more work permits and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um you know while he has done nothing really on the sort of peace process. Um, so 
I take your point there that um, that kind of thing is something that, you know, a child would never forget. The parent would never forget. Well, the parent, the the humiliated father would never forget. And if you ask, ask, well, how is that going to change their response to any report, subsequent reports of violence against Israelis? I think I can predict how it's going to change, how the effect it's going to have. It's just a predictable thing about human nature. Except there hasn't been, not every liberation movement, not every subjugated people, not everybody, you know, it isn't always this case that this happens. No, And the Israelis have shown that if there was a peace partner, they, they, they are willing to negotiate. Most Israelis still, I think, support a two-state solution. And, you know, it's a question of, of that. So, I mean, again, I think the Palestinians have been cursed with terrible leadership. Um, I mean, we haven't talked much about Mahmoud Abbas, but he, he's extremely corrupt. Um, yeah, but the U.S. and Israel is fine with that because well, he's their I, guy I, and he'll do what they want. Okay, so here they pay, I, they pay I would agree be... with an, a critique of the left, which is that the, the sort of assumptions of the Oslo process that we can bring in a former terrorist like Arafat and turn him into a statesman not only didn't work, but it was it was imposing a kind of corruption and cruelty on Palestinians in the process. We were essentially kind of picking their autocratic leaders. And some of that was because some of the leaders of the first intifada also, you know, had a famous moment where they empowered Arafat to negotiate on their behalf and so forth. But that that was a mistake that this was a mistake. And I I go back to some of the critiques of the 2000s and 2010s, which is that what's really important is to deal with things like corruption, governance and so forth, because that also has this effect of not only strengthening the legitimacy of the regime that ultimately will eventually be negotiating peace with the Israelis, but it also goes a long way of convincing Israelis that they have a peace partner. But you have to also, I think, acknowledge that the reason why there isn't a peace camp really right now in Israel is because of, well, I mean, not just this massacre, but it's it's because the Palestinians continue to think that a strategy of causing atrocities will eventually convince Jews to leave a country uh, as if they were colonialists or settlers, every all of them, which is not true. This is the only this is the only Jewish state in the world. So I I, I again, I, I know you might accuse me of being of both sides in it, but that's I think that's a huge part of that factor. Um, wait, say that again. What is the the, the um... I'm saying that I don't think that I mean, this idea that we tried peaceful marches in BDS and that's why we had to do the massacre on October 7th. That's not true. There, there, there's always been a violent undercurrent in this, in, in this. And and it's it's certainly not true that Hamas tried the Martin Martin Luther King route. I agree. I I think there are people in the West Bank who will say they tried and I know some. Okay, Uh, fine. But like, why does the Palestinian Authority still pay the families of suicide bombs? I have long thought that the Palestinians should, in a more thoroughgoing way, embrace just the, just the, like, just let us vote line. Now, I don't think they'd get a warm reception from Israelis, but it would put Israelis on the spot. And when I was in the West Bank last, which was at least a decade ago, um, you would ask them this, and some would say, yeah, that's what we should do. Yeah, that's what we are. But some would say, no, then you're normalizing the occupation. In other words, you're, um, you're subscribing to the system that's oppressing you if you say you just want to be part of it. 
<clears throat> I don't think that's wise. I, I, but that said, I think if there were an effective uh, movement, uh, just kind of give us the vote, Israel would completely freak out and do their best to undermine it. It's not like they would have a, a partner for peace. Well, you're talking about a, a one a, a one state solution where. Well, yeah. Well, right what now, else is left? Think. They've taken, you know, the settlements have, have it's, it's like the West Bank is Swiss cheese. I mean, it, it's like, you know, they've cut it up into these these tiny pieces. Uh, Palestinians, you know, they can't go see their cousin in the village a few miles away because there's a highway they're not allowed to drive on in between. Uh, because it goes from settlement to settlement. I mean, I, I, I have a serious question for you. Even before this last episode, as of September, did you think a two-state solution was possible, realistically? Given Israeli politics, given the situation on the ground in the West Bank, was a two-state solution possible? I, I didn't I think it was I, possible in the short term, but I think it's the only solution. Well, don't you think if Israel really saw it as the only solution, they would quit building settlements because everyone makes it less likely to happen, but they keep doing it. Well, it depends on what you mean. I mean, I, th that's going to take us down a road. I would just say that they have, th do you mean expanding the perimeters of settlements? Because that doesn't happen. What they do well, is they expand growth, within settlement settlements. Foundation, whatever. Some settlements are like these Jewish population centers, which in any kind of final agreement are going to remain part of Israel. And so when you're talking about that, if you're talking about building in East Jerusalem, I don't consider that to be a settlement. So, um, well, yeah, I consider uh, that to be important land that uh, very important to the Palestinians. All right. And well, under international law, does not belong to Israel. I think we're, we're coming to the end. Okay. I, if okay. you want to just briefly say, I just want to just say, I have a long uh, episode called Church and Deep State. It's the final yeah. cut. It's the monologue. I also have, it, it, I broke it up into two parts over the summer. Um, I think you know, especially if you're listening to this and you're saying, oh, my God, Eli is still such a, a bloodthirsty neocon. I actually really do think that I I, I, I I put a lot of work into it. And, and you might be surprised. You might have some of my, some of the lefty uh, watchers might might find themselves nodding along. Eli, let me give you some promotional help. I don't think uh, I, although you mentioned it at the very beginning, I don't think you just mentioned the name of the podcast, which is the reeducation. Correct. Eli Lake. And, yeah, I started listening to the church thing. It's good. As I said, it's highly produced. Like, who's backing this? Do you, are you getting uh, It's my... part of the Nebulous Network, but I do all uh, the, the work. The, I, yeah. I find the audio clips. I, I pick mm -hmm, the music. Mm -hmm. I write the script. I do it all. Mm -hmm. It's good. Uh, uh, now, what I want to know is, uh, have you seen uh, Wormwood by uh, the Errol Morris documentary? Uh, I know about it. I haven't seen that. And I'm doing another project right now, uh, which I'll announce probably in a, in a month or so. Okay, so this um, is about But it will get into MKUltra, MKUltra, LSD. Oh, man. Oh, man. But yeah. the LSD was only the half of it. I mean, that oh, guy yeah, there's was a lot flat more. out murdered. Yeah. Oh, Olsen, you mean, of course. Yeah. yeah, no, he was flat out murdered. And, um, well, anyway, uh, yeah, no, but anyway, can we agree now? Can we agree now? Because it's the end of this one and I, I got to run yeah. and I know you got to run. Yeah. Can we, do, I would love to do one on this question of like, the American deep state, what is it? And I and I want to do it in part because I think it will be somewhat less contentious, but also because, I mean, part of my motivation here is that people throw that word around and it's often um, part of a conspiracy theory and it's often not true, but there is such a, the, the actual history of the um, American deep state is scandalous enough in my view, and it's worth looking into and what it says today and whether we need another kind of church committee. 
Yeah, that's a fascinating subject. Uh, deep state is an interesting phenomenon. Uh, quick question for you. Am I right in thinking that it originates in the context of Turkish politics? That's the first you time are, I heard No, first of all, you are absolutely correct. It's Turkish politics, and it's in that series of military coups that they have for right. about 20 years. Uh, sometimes it has been referred to Pakistani and Egyptian politics. Of This idea in the American context comes out of um, the... Um, it's it's the 1950s, and it's specifically like there's an article that is looking at and um, they, they call it a dual state, where they're looking at the loyalty oaths for people in the nuclear program, the State Department, um, and then there there is there is a literature that tries to critique it, but the original concept of a deep state is something that applied to Turkey. You are right about that. Okay, yeah, that would be fun, fun conversation. Final burst of promotion. What's your Twitter handle? You're still doing Twitter, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, I do it more now with uh, all this stuff going on. It's Eli Lake, just it's by name. Eli Lake. I am yeah. at Robert Ryder, W-R-I-G-H-T-E-R. Non-Zero Newsletter, Non-Zero Podcast, smash the like button, rate and review. Check out Eli's re-education. Thank you, Eli. I do, hey, I do, I do value it. these conversations. Me I think we're both arguing in good faith. Yep, and, uh, I agree. Uh, I appreciate it, Bob. Always a pleasure. Thank you. All right, take care. Okay, thanks. Bye-bye.